Welcome to Sparking Wholeness, where we talk all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. I'm your host, Erin Carey. I'm a survivor of bipolar disorder and a self-proclaimed nutrition nerd who loves asking why. As a certified integrative nutrition health coach, my goal is to help people find balance, and I want to help you find ways to spark wholeness in your life. For more information, check out sparkingwholeness.com or on the Instagram handle, Sparking Wholeness. And now, get ready for today's awesome show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Sparking Wholeness. This is Erin Carey, and today I'm sitting down with Dr. Orlina Carrick. Dr. Orlina Carrick is a physician, weight loss coach, and owner of Fit and Fabulous Weight Loss. Along with being featured on Mind, Body, Green, and BBC, her podcast, Fit and Fabulous, is available on iTunes. A mom of four, Dr. Orlina pulls on personal advice, medical knowledge, and mindfulness practice to help women lead healthier lives. So Dr. Orlina, thank you so much for being on the show. It is a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited because you have a background, not only as a medical doctor, but also in the whole health and nutrition lifestyle coaching world, which I think it sounds like just a beautiful mix. So maybe you can give us a little bit um, of information about your background and how you got started doing what you're doing now. Yeah, so as you can tell from my accent, I'm from the UK. And in 2011, I moved to Spain. Because, you know, I wanted a better lifestyle. I don't know if you know the UK, but it's a bit cold and wet. And I love the sun and I love the Mediterranean. And I just wanted something slightly different. And I always say I moved with my eyes wide shut because I have to confess, I thought I would just carry on my medical career and it would be super easy. Okay, I had a couple of languages I needed to learn, but that would all just sort itself out. But to cut a long story short... That did not happen. I can't work in a hospital here without going and redoing all my exams. And I just, I didn't have the energy really to do that or, or I didn't really want to. So I started um, online thinking about the stuff that I helped people with in hospital, which was, you know, young kids. And I, at the time I had two children of my own and then I had twins. So then I had four children. So I had four children under the age of four and a half and I remember, you know, a lot of thinking about healthy eating for kids. And when I was a doctor, I would get a lot of people coming to me with tummy pains. And quite often they had constipation. And the reason mm -hmm. they had constipation was because they weren't eating enough vegetables. I used to do what I call the vegetable test, which was, <laughs> what's your favorite vegetable? And if they answered chips, which I guess translates as fries, um, <laughs> and then I knew that they had a problem. <laughs> <laughs> and that you know whatever they needed to really think about their diet but it wasn't until after I had kids that I realized it's not as easy as just presenting them with foods and I remember when my second son was about three I remember him crying on the toilet because horror of horrors he had constipation right. and you know I was mortified because I just you know for me how could this happen to me I always presented vegetables but I realized that that wasn't that wasn't enough Kids don't naturally eat vegetables. And, you know, I could see us getting into these mealtime battles. And so that really began for me a sort of search into what's the best way and how do we actually apply these things to our lives. So I started off doing that. And then a year and a half or so ago, I pivoted to work with adults. And one of the main reasons for that is because I realized that the best way to get your kids, one of the best ways to get your kids to be healthy, whether it's eating or living or happiness, 
is to demonstrate it yourself. And, you know, you can't teach your children to eat vegetables if you don't eat vegetables. It's kind of impossible. And so, you know, it's, it's all about working on the mother, particularly I work with mothers, and helping them, well, lose weight, but also create a healthy and amazing life and get back to feeling fit and fabulous and having all that energy that we should have. And I always say the best thing that you can give your kids is your own happiness. And I really, truly believe that, that once we sort out ourselves and look after ourselves, we show up and not only teach our children how to be happy, but we enjoy our kids and we create time for ourselves and connect better and everything just spirals up as opposed to spiraling down. Yeah, so that's, that's <laughs> oh, I love it. No, that's so true. I remember it's funny when I, I had my daughter really young, my oldest really young, and she was probably two or three. And I realized, huh, I probably need to change some, maybe I should exercise a little bit. Maybe I should eat a little bit differently because I want to be healthy for her, you know, and that kind of set me on the path that I'm now on where I, I, I love talking about these things. I love talking to people like you because I agree. I think we need to start as, as moms, as parents, we need to take care of ourselves because we are the ones that are setting the example, you know, and, and, and not even just that old fashioned, like I know there are lots of parents, they will go on diets or whatever it is, and they have their separate food and the kids have their separate food. But I guess what you're saying is what you do is you make it to where everybody is eating fun, nutritious yeah. meals, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think my take on nutrition is that i mean and, and i'm happy to go into depths of nutrition i love talking about nutrition yeah. but you know my main take home message is that it should be easy and fun and i live in the mediterranean i love the mediterranean style diet and just to give a caveat to that a lot of people think that mediterranean style diet is like pasta and rice yeah. it's not pasta <laughs> and rice it's vegetables so it's really based on vegetables um, but it's just easy, you know, take some vegetables, throw them in the oven. And when your children are used to eating vegetables, and I think that's another interesting point is that we have to teach our children healthy eating. It's not something that happens naturally. Naturally, as humans, we are programmed to seek glucose, which basically means we love cake. We love pasta. We love anything that raises our glucose. We all do. We all love it even if we pretend we don't. And you know, sometimes healthy people pretend they don't, but really and truly they do. But that's what kids will, will want. If you ask them what they want, they're gonna want cake. They want, mine always wants spaghetti bolognese. They would eat it every single day, <laughs> but that's not what they get. But you know, if you are giving them enough healthy foods, they will eat those healthy foods. Obviously, if you offer them a cake and a piece of broccoli, they're gonna pick the cake. And that's perfectly normal, but it's about working out how you present those foods in such a way that they will eat them. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really good. And why do you, I mean, other than, you know, you talked about like kind of the digestive issues that kids have, what are some other reasons just from, from your background in pediatrics that, that it's important for kids to have nutrition and what are some things that you, uh, some other issues that maybe you see are coming up because we are depending upon our glucose fueled diets. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's interesting. And I think you can divide these into short term and long term. So if you look at the short term, like one of the big, big things is constipation. Like constipation is so common in kids everywhere. And it essentially, the vast majority of constipation is due to a high refined carbohydrate, AKA sort of junk food diets, sort of white stuff and not enough vegetables. Um, and yeah, that, that is the biggest 
biggest problem. Sadly, we are now also seeing other problems. So obesity in childhood and even type two diabetes in, in childhood, which you know is a result of lifestyle choices. But for the vast majority of children, the vast majority of children you know, are fine as they are now, which is really good news for parents who are worried about their children and healthy eating, is that actually they're gonna get those benefits later on in life. So like anybody, there are so many benefits of healthy eating, you know, like reduced risk of heart disease and some cancers, reduced risk of cancers and diabetes with all of its complications, just essentially everything. And even, you know, there are some diseases which clearly you can't, you know, they are genetic, but they're very much in the minority. But even if you have something like that, if you look after yourself and have healthy lifestyle, you're going to feel better. You're going to turn up with more energy and be able to manage that illness in a much better way. So essentially, our health in general is what you're looking at. And, you know, I think I didn't do much work in adult medicine because I went into pediatrics relatively soon, but we all had to do some work in adult medicine. And there are so many cases that I can, you know, that just, it was years ago now. Oh my goodness, it's scary how many years ago it was. <laughs> but, you know, people who spring out, like, you know, that I remember years later, who just had tragic stories, but the bottom line was that the things that was wrong, were wrong with them were because of the lifestyle choices that they had made. And they probably didn't really understand the implications. But really and truly, it's just easy. It's just lead a healthy life, eat healthily, exercise. You don't have to do heaps of exercise. It's kind of a little bit of a bug that once you start exercising, you want to do more exercising. Sleep well and think about emotions. And that's it, you know, it's not difficult. And once you're in that habit, it's easy and fun. And I just think that's, you know, my main message is all easy and fun. Yeah, yeah, no, I like that. Easy and fun. And, and I think that that's important too for the kids to see, a variety and what that even does. And for them to understand, you know, I, I have a friend, she said her daughter realized she's probably eight, maybe seven or eight when she had artificial food dyes, which I don't know if you guys even have those over there. We have them in everything here. Um, when she would have them, she would have nightmares at night. And so for her, that was enough for her to realize, oh, I probably don't want to have the red Skittles or, or whatever it is. Right. Um, but I, I, I really feel that the dyes and some of these other preservatives and things that are put in to our food here in the U S I know that there are stricter regu regulations in Europe, but, um, they do cause some, even some mental issues yeah. and sleep problems. And, and not many people are aware of that. Yeah. But I think even more scary than that, or not, I guess it depends which way you look at it, but I totally, totally understand how easy it is to go and buy packaged food. Like, you know, it's something that we used to do. And I think I got to the stage with my children as well at this time when we had um, this episode of constipation that, you know, I was giving my kids biscuits every day. So what you would call cookies. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to get into that habit. And I kind of thought, oh, yeah, we're, we've got a healthy lifestyle. We have. And I was presenting them with vegetables. Of course, they prefer biscuits to the vegetables. They would eat some fruit and vegetables. But it wasn't until I started making changes and I thought, okay, we can cut out the biscuits and we can eat some more of this and some eat some more of that. And now I look back and think, wow, actually, my diet has changed a lot since then. And it's easy to pick up those packets which, you know, even if they're relatively healthy packets, they're still full of flour and, you know, even those kind of things that they've done a lot of the work for your body. So even if it's something that's relatively healthy, it's still half processed for you, half digested for you. 
but it is just as easy to pick up some apples and some pears and some bananas, but it's just about habits and children will eat these foods if it's normal for them, but yes. it's about it being normal for them and for us as well. And I think it all just boils down to habits and what we're used to doing. And I'm very lucky because I live in the beautiful Mediterranean and we produce so many amazing fruits and vegetables here. And I go to my beautiful market every Sunday, which I totally love and come back with amazing vegetables but I never do very much with them. Like I just throw some olive oil on them and chuck them in the oven <laughs> and that's it. You know, it can be easy and you can find ways of feeding yourself and your family and it still be easy and fun. Yeah. Let's, and let's talk about those habits then. Um, let's, how do we get, make it normal? How do we get into the habit of having a wide variety of vegetables and fruit for our kids when maybe, maybe somebody's listening and they are used to just doing you know, they, they're working all day, they, they get home, or right now maybe they're working from home, and they have to throw something in the oven, and so they throw in whatever is the easiest. How can we make these things fun and easy? Yeah, well, I think there are two, two different ways to do it. So you can get professional help and do something and, you know, really go through and change everything in a sort of structured kind of way. But if you're not going to do that, you can just incrementally increase things. And, you know, that's going to take a little bit longer. But the, the key to having a good habit is that you concrete the habit. So don't try and change too much by yourself. You know, think, okay, well, if I just present an extra vegetable or fruit at every single eating opportunity, and I, I personally recommend structured eating opportunities for children. So by that, I don't mean it has to be at the exact time every single day, but, you know, you have breakfast, mid-morning snack, lunch, perhaps an afternoon snack, depending on your routine, and then a dinner time. And that you have those at roughly the same time every single day. And those are the times that you eat, as opposed to allowing children to graze. Because children will graze, and they essentially get bored, mostly, and want to, to eat. And it, it isn't actually a bad thing to allow your child to wait a little bit to eat. You know, I think just because somebody says, oh my goodness, I'm hungry, it doesn't mean you have to eat immediately it is fine to go okay well snack is in half an hour you can have some fruit then so you know going back to your question which was how do you increase that so go okay well every single time i'm gonna just serve an extra vegetable and you have to think about how that works for you in terms of your routine so you know being really obvious you have to buy those so you know think about how much you shop look at your basket and think am i buying at least half of what i buy out of my food goods at least every week is that fruit and vegetables and if it's not you need to start buying more um you know and i think you can go up up a bit on that depending on what you're aiming for but it's super easy so say perhaps you have your dinner with some carrots do carrots and peas and broccoli and the more vegetables you have the more the children will eat and obviously i'm not suggesting that you waste food ever nothing ever goes to waste in our family i often sort of cook for me and my husband thinking, well, we'll eat this, but making sure that there's something for my children. And the more vegetables I put out, you know, one of them hates this and the other one hates that. <laughs> so, you know, it's, not, it's never perfect, but there's enough. And it doesn't matter if some people eat carrots and peas and some people eat broccoli and peas. It doesn't have to be exactly the same on each plate, but what you're looking at is how many vegetables. And it's just super, super easy. I love that. I think that that that's good too. And just to plan for more than what you normally have and just get kind of into the habit of that. And I, I agree if it's there, a lot of times kids will be more willing to, 
maybe take you up on it, you know, because like you said, not everybody's going to like the same thing all the time. Um, I want to go back to what you said about grazing, because I've noticed just personally, let's see, we started the whole shelter in place thing. It was mid-March, I think. And my three-year-old all of a sudden decided that he is just hungry all day long. But really, I know he's bored. (laughs) You know, I know he's not really, truly hungry. And so I, I really... I think that's the case for a lot of young kids when they're home, like many of us are right now. How can we get them, other than setting the scheduled eating times, what are some tips for that for younger kids? Yeah, I think it's learning. Well, do you know what? I don't think it's just kids. I think it's adults as well. And I know for me. That's true. That that, is true. You know, I'm a boredom eater. Back in the days when my children went to school and I would work in the morning and then have a cup of coffee midday, sorry, mid-morning with perhaps a little snack, I kind of knew that I wasn't really hungry. I was more eating because I wanted a break. That's fine. Those sort of included in what I eat in the day, so it's fine. Um, but so, yeah, I think it's something that everybody has. I think, so essentially what you're asking is how do we teach children not to emotionally eat, not to make that link between emotions and eating and I think with adults adults do it at different degrees I think all adults do it some people obviously it leads to being overweight and other people it doesn't because they don't do it so much so I think for adults the the first thing you have to do is become aware that that's what you're doing and be honest with yourself before you can make the steps to fix that Mm -hmm. so for children I think it's about having um those scheduled times. So whatever your routine, it doesn't have to be fat. Young, young children need to eat more frequently than older children. So you will notice as your child gets older, you're going to space that out a little bit. You know, think about a young baby. They, depending on how small they are, they may feed every two hours, then every three hours, then every Mm -hmm. four hours. And then, you know, you space that out. So younger children, they do have smaller and they may need an extra snack. So it depends how, how often you're doing that. But then I think you just allow them to have you know, the food that you prepare. So you choose what you're offering and they choose what they're going to eat. And that works quite well. You just have to be aware of what you're offering. So you don't want to be offering, you know, treats and cookies and cake the whole time. You offer them fruit and vegetables. And yeah, of course, a little bit of carbohydrates, but be aware of the portion size of that carbohydrate because they're going to pick that carbohydrate. Mm -hmm. The vast majority of children will be picking the bread, the cake, the pasta, and leaving the other stuff. but they will eat the other stuff as long as it isn't something that they dislike. You know, children do have dislikes as adults do. As long as it isn't a food that is disliked, they will eat it. So for example, today we had pizza for dinner. We don't have pizza very often, but my son made pizza, he's 11. And there was a bit of a delay in between pizza number one and pizza number two. And then we'd all had some broccoli but there was more broccoli and in between that delay, they all decided to eat a little bit more broccoli. So they do just help themselves Hmm. once they're in the habit. But if I had put out all the pizza at front, of course they would eat all the pizza and then go, oh, now I'm not hungry. I don't want any more broccoli. Mm -hmm. So think about how you present the foods. And I think another really important uh, thing for children is not to reward children with food in any way at all. to try and not make that link between emotions. So either in a negative way, like, oh, you've been naughty, therefore you can't go for an ice cream, or you've been good, so, you know, I'll give you a candy. And I remember I used to be guilty of this when my first child was 
you know, a baby and he didn't want to get into the car seat. I remember giving him biscuits just to help me get him. (laughs) You know, but when I realized what I was doing, I stopped. But it's very easy to make that connection between a big emotional crisis because it was for him. He was like, oh, I hate being put in my car seat. And I would just hand him a biscuit. He would be quiet and I could strap him into his car seat until I realized that that's actually a really dangerous thing to do. <laughs> and that, that's funny. That's so true for us adults too. So many, so many of us were raised that way, right? To where it's like, oh, you got an A on your test. And so let's celebrate with whatever celebration food is. And so, and it's really hard because now it's like, well, I had a hard day, so... I'm going to make this dessert or whatever, you know, it's hard to get out of that habit as adults too. So maybe it is. Yeah, it is. And I think it's interesting because I think what you've hit on is true that part of our society is to celebrate things with a meal and I, or a party or whatever it is. And I think that that is fine, but there is a slight difference between having an emotion right now. So, Oh my goodness. You know, and I remember doing this too. Oh my goodness, we've had a bad day. I'm going to cook meatballs. But coming from that place of emotion, as opposed to there's a gap. So, okay, I'm really happy. I've passed this exam. Let's go out for dinner tomorrow. Because then that emotion has slightly worn off. Mm. But it is a social norm to celebrate with food. And I guess that also brings me on to slightly other things. Another topic that I think is interesting is about saving some things for special. So, if we're constantly eating all these favorite special treat foods, what is there when you have a treat? I remember being here in Spain and I think people do eat slightly differently in Spain, but obviously not everyone. And I remember at after school time, children often go and get a snack after school and being behind the mother who I knew and she had bought, you know, like lots of different sweets and candies and things like that. Now it may have been a treat, but I don't think it was. I think that's what she gave her children every single day. And then Mm. my thought was, well, what do you give them when it's a party and you want to have all of those foods? There's nothing else really other than to eat more of that to go to. So I think having those foods that we consider as treat foods is actually a nice thing to do because if you don't have it every day, you enjoy it more when you do have it. Uh, That is such a good point. And I really like the idea of of even just the timing, like you said, like the, maybe the delayed gratification as opposed to the instant, you know, like I'm in this moment, I had a rough day, I'm gonna, I mean, that could go into, you know, here in the United States, we're kind of having this epidemic of mommy wine culture, right? We're like, oh, I, I had a rough day, so I'm going to have a drink at five. Well, and then a drink becomes two, and then pretty soon it's a whole bottle or whatever. And there are a lot of reports on that and how that's really becoming a negative. Um, it's kind of leading to alcoholism, you know, and, and it can just start with that little thing. But I feel like we've been doing that with food for far longer, <laughs> you know, like, oh, I had a rough day, so I'm going to pick up a candy bar on the way home from work, or I'm going to make a big pan of brownies or whatever it is. And so I like this point of like, you know what, we made it through the week. It's been a hard week. So maybe Saturday night, we're going to celebrate the weekend by doing whatever this thing is. And I think that that's a different way to frame it, that that could be really helpful for some people. Yeah. And I think as well, one of the things that you've touched on is that it all comes down to habits. And, you know, you talk about, okay, I've had a bad day. I'm going to have a glass of wine. And that becomes a habit, that becomes your coping mechanism. And what you want to do is, I think about habit audits. Like habits are fabulous because 
our bodies, our brains, they like to be efficient. And it's, think about when you do something new, for example, like you're driving a new route somewhere. It takes so much more energy, brain power, to work out where that new route is, or even to try a new recipe, something mundane like that. You really have to think about it. But when it's something that we know, our body just kind of does it without thinking about it. And so habits do really serve us because we don't have to be constantly thinking about it. But there is a negative side that you then do negative things out of habit. And it's useful to take what I call a habit audit, where you step back from your life and think about all of these habits and then think, okay, I want to keep these habits, but actually I want to replace this habit. So I would suggest that, you know, you want to replace the habit of having wine. I'm not saying you should never have wine, but if you're feeling down, you replace it with another coping mechanism, whatever it is that works for you. It might be exercise, it might be meditation, it might be coloring in, it might be I don't know, going for a walk or painting, so many different things, but find whatever works for you and that becomes your habit. And then, now alcohol is one of those slightly, you know, controversial areas in that it isn't very good for your health, but you know, we all like drinking it. (laughs) You need to drink it in moderation. Um, But you know, okay, so I've got into the habit of having a glass of wine on Friday or Saturday and that's fine but I do it on Friday and Saturday again away from that emotion it's not a coping mechanism it's again a celebration of life it's that same thing as the party food but hey I'm celebrating being here at this moment with whoever I'm with and enjoying it and I'm celebrating with this glass of wine and I think I mean alcohol is one of those things you kind of have to know your limits and if you have problems with knowing your limits then I would suggest going for a period of time without it and actually then again have a glass of beer and then you enjoy it more than if you're having it every single day. Yeah. Yeah. Which goes back to that whole, it, it's not a treat if you have it every day. Right. And, and I think that that's true. That's so true for our kids. That's so true for us and that we're used to just, I don't think ever in history, you know, we've had so much food, so available all of the time. And so it is really hard to navigate through that because, well, yeah, I mean, I work hard. I deserve it. I should have what I want. You know, um, I'd like to hear a little bit more about how you, you help moms with this, because I know you're really passionate about busy moms taking care of their own nutrition. And I like what you said about habit audits. I think that that's, that's a really fascinating concept. And maybe you could talk a little bit more about that. What are some small changes you help women make? Um, well, mostly right now I work with one-on-one clients and I normally at the moment do weight loss, which is kind of, for me, the entry into healthy eating and living but the reality is is that they want to lose weight so I help them and I help them get healthy and feel fit Mm -hmm. and fabulous so you know the first thing we look at well I think what I would say is there are four keys to to weight loss and to healthy eating to to me or sorry healthy living to me at the back end it's the same it doesn't really matter whether you want to be more healthy or whether you want to lose weight and so they are nutrition and exercise Um, Now, exercise is one of those interesting things. A lot of people think you need to exercise to lose weight. And actually, that's not true. You need to look at your nutrition to lose weight. It's about 80, 90% nutrition and about 10% exercise. Mm -hmm. However, I do recommend that everybody exercise because it's really good for you. It helps you get fit and feel fabulous. And I also think it's where we really get our energy from. Our bodies are designed to be moved. They want to be moved. And I always feel... You know, when I'm feeling tired and down, then I do some exercise and I have lots more energy. And people often think it's the other way around. They think, oh, I'm too tired. I can't exercise. (laughs) 
And I say, when you're tired, that's when you want to go and exercise. Yes. So exercise and then sleep is another hugely important thing that there's so much interesting um, research on sleep now. When I studied as a medical student, oh my goodness, so many years ago, um, but we didn't really know much about sleep then. We knew obviously that, you know, sleep is a time for restoring and things like that, but we didn't really know the mechanisms behind it. Whereas now we know so much more about sleep and how, you know, well, sleep will help you feel fit, your stress levels will help you with weight loss, productivity. Oh my goodness. Like we stay up late because we think we're being productive, but actually you're much better off going to bed, getting up early, kind of the things that we kind of really knew, didn't we? But, you know, now we have evidence for that. So sleep is another really important thing. And a lot of people find it difficult, even when they know that sleep is important, to prioritize sleep. A lot of mothers, the issues they find is that it's their time when um, they feel that they, their children are in bed and they can... Um, that they can get some of their own time. And one of the things I work with is to rearrange your day so that you can get that time and you don't have to rely on going to bed late to make sure that you get that, that time. And yeah. the last pillar that I talk about is mindfulness and emotional wellness. So that's, you know, that's a big, big topic. So thinking about how we react to things and how our emotions drive us so how our thoughts create our emotions, which create our actions, which is super interesting. Um, and, you know, a key part of changing any habits. And habits, of course, is the, the other thing. But, you know, it, the, the little ones that you can take, the steps that you can take by yourself, the first step I think you really have to take is to give yourself permission to change and to say, I can prioritize myself and my own care is important. So for me, I remember when I had these four children who were probably under about six by that time. And I took them to swimming class and um, my husband used to take them. And then eventually I started taking them because they would come back having not swum. I'm like, okay, what's going on here? I'll take them. <laughs> and um, I would watch them. It was so hot in the swimming pool at the top watching them that I just thought, I wish I could swim whilst they're doing their swimming classes. And that's when I started swimming. And I would have 45 minutes, I loved it. And as much as I love my children, they would sort of jump on me. And you know how you feel like a human climbing plane with four oh, yeah. children? <laughs> and as much as I loved that, I just can't sometimes felt I just need a little bit of space to myself, but I didn't know how to get that and say to them without, because I was probably tired and stressed at the time, I didn't want to yell at them and go, go away, leave me alone. <laughs> but I just needed a little bit more space. And so swimming gave me that bit of space without other people constantly clambering on me. And for me, that was the beginning of going, oh my goodness, okay, I can actually work in this into my routine. And then I can work in going to yoga class into my routine. The first step is giving yourself permission and going, do you know what? I can actually do this. And the other thing that I was going to do is not as important as this. And I have to prioritize myself and other things sometimes come second. Yeah, that's really good. I'm, I'm taking notes right now. That was the delay. Giving yourself permission. That's, that's so good. And, and what do you do about like when those, you know, we are always plagued with self-doubt, negative thoughts, and we just have those kind of those negative neural pathways that have just worn a road in our brain time and time again for however many years. What do you say to the woman who is just stuck in negativity and and wants to make these changes, but then 
that negativity just keeps coming back at her. How, how do you, you know, you talked about changing thoughts yeah. and mindset. What are some ways to do that? Well, I think I love, I love talking about this subject. So I talk about a circle and there's different people, different ways of talking about this. So different um, coaches will talk about this in different ways, but essentially it goes like this. You have a thought that creates an emotion. And so for example, the thought might be, oh my goodness, I'm a hopeless mother, which makes you feel depressed and not very happy. And that will lead you to an action, which could be, I'm gonna go and make meatballs or something like that. And then that goes around again. So then you judge yourself on the action that you've done. And then you have another thought, well, clearly I'm a hopeless mother because I've just made meatballs or whatever the action is that you've just done. And so this goes round and round and round in a wheel. And I kind of feel, and often as well, it will play off each other. Because remember, if you've got different people in a family and we have things called mirror neurons. So if your children are grumpy and shouty and children's emotions sort of bounce up and down, worst day ever, best day ever, worst day ever, best day ever. <laughs> in the space of five minutes. And so that's gonna play into that circle that you've got. And it's very easy for that circle to spiral down what I call the plug hole. So, you know, you can have a negative thought, a negative emotion, a negative action, leads to another one, then your child might come in and being grumpy and then it's even worse. And suddenly the entire house is in the pits. <laughs> but you can access that, you can, what you want to do is turn it round and spiral it up. And to begin with, it's gonna go slowly. When you're in those negative depths of despair, and I say this from experience, because this is where you know I was when I was when I'd accidentally lost my medical career and I had four young children, thinking, "Oh my goodness!" You know, on one level I was living the perfect life, and on another level I was thinking, "I don't do anything other than cook dinner, and nobody eats my dinner anyhow." <laughs> <laughs> but so then, you know, you can start working on. On these and so obviously when you think about thoughts the first step is to be aware of what you're thinking because a lot of people think these things without even realizing that they're thinking these things and it's amazing how when you look at our children you can see how these things play so for example my son learning to ride a bike and he's busy going I can't do it I can't do it I can't do it and hey guess what he's telling himself he can't do it he's finding it difficult whereas if you can turn that round to something like I've done it once I can do it again then it's gonna be easier for him. So you want to be aware of your thoughts and then you want to think more positive thoughts. Now you can't pretend to yourself. So, you know, let's take weight loss, for example. If you think, I hate my body, I hate my body, you can't then go, I'm a model, I've got, you know, if you don't believe that, <laughs> you don't believe that. But you can create thoughts that are positive and believable so for example you might think well I've got a body that functions and it allows me to do all of these amazing things like walking and cooking and looking after my children think about all the positive things that are true so that you can then neutralize that mm -hmm. and so that's one step and you know some people work lots on that and there's lots of ways of things that, you know you can do journaling and all kinds of different things thinking about your thoughts you can also thinking about the next spiral round your emotions you can work directly on your emotions. And it is interesting. So for example, take music. If you put music on, happy music, suddenly you feel much happier. It just changes your emotions like magic. If you put on sad music, you feel sad. And you can connect to your emotions. You can generate emotions from inside you. I think the best way to do this is through meditation. And obviously it's something that takes time. You can also think happy thoughts, but that's really going back to the thoughts section. But you can think about a time when you were happy and that's going to help you generate that thought. And then the last key is 
um, your actions. So, you know, what food choices you make. And this is where you really have control over what's going on. Because, you know, if you're talking about weight loss, you can't control the number on the scale. But what you can control is whether you exercise and whether what you eat and all of these other things. So those are the things that you really want to be thinking about. And the more of the sort of good things you do, the more you're going to generate these positive thoughts. And I think you have to be kind to yourself as well, not judgmental. I don't want you to go, okay, well, you know, I only ran two miles today and not three miles. So therefore I'm hopeless. You have to be kind and gentle to yourself and always think about those positive thoughts. And again, it comes back to habits. It all comes back to habits. And you get to this stage where all of these things, thinking positively, being aware of your emotions and your actions just comes naturally. And you don't have to think about thinking about it, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's, that is really helpful. And just kind of those tiny action steps over time can lead to those big changes, but it is actually doing the thing, right? That, that to get there. Exactly. Exactly. So sometimes it feels like, oh my goodness, it's not going to make any difference if I walk around the block today. No, well, of course it's not going to make any difference if you walk around the block once, but if you do it three times a week for a year, Yes, it is going to make a difference because your bones will be stronger, your hearts will be stronger, and it's going to give you an emotional boost as well. And it will also help you spiral up because you'll look at yourself and think, look, I can stick with this habit. I can do this thing. Yeah, that's good. And I think that's, that's a really hard thing, the topic of exercise, because everybody knows that they need to exercise. And like you said, it doesn't make as much of a difference in, you know, say weight loss or, you know, changing your body or whatever, as much as people think it does, but it does have so many good impacts on our mental health and physical well-being, you know, all of that. But it's so hard. Why is it so hard just to, to put on shoes and, and walk around the block? I think that a lot of people get stuck because is it because they, maybe they think that they're not doing enough. Like you said, like, well, all I did was a walk around the block. I didn't, you know, run a 5k. It's habit. It's habit. It still boils down to habit. So I think, A lot of people have this idea that people who have good, healthy habits are very disciplined. And it's not true. Mm. It's nothing to do with discipline. It's to do with how you set up your life. So let me give you an example. I, back in the days when my children used to go to school before schools closed down, (laughs) we, they would go to afternoon school. So here we, in Spain, they go to morning school and afternoon school. So at 2.30, I would start walking them to school to arrive there for three o'clock. I would then go down to the swimming pool, do my swimming training, and then I had enough time. I would treat myself to a two or three minute sauna, but I loved the swimming, and then I would do the whole thing in reverse. Now, that's not to say that I'm a perfect person who thinks, okay, I could not go swimming today. I could do something else, but I've made it so easy for myself because, of course, I have to take my children to school, right? I'm not going to go, okay, kids, you're not going to go to school, but it's almost like I set myself on a train journey. So in order to stop that train, I really have to make a huge, great effort to do that because I would have to then do a huge, great U-turn. And another example I have is I love to go shopping at our local fruit and vegetable market on Sunday. But what can you buy at the fruit and vegetable market? You can buy fruit and vegetables. So, you know, it's not like I'm tempted. If you go to the supermarket, you, you know, they always put the sweets and the candies at the aisle, oh, don't yeah. they? And you're standing there waiting and looking at this. Well, you know, I don't put myself in that situation. The worst thing I can buy at the fruit and vegetable market is grapes. And, you know, okay, they put sugar in them, <laughs> but <laughs> it's not like a bar of candy. So I just can't buy them there. 
So it's about setting up your life in a way that it's just routine. And again, it comes back to self-awareness and what motivates you. So for example, I'm a person who, if I've made, I go swimming in the morning. So now in the summer, I'm loving being out. I go three times a week at seven o'clock in the morning. I meet a couple of friends and we swim. Now I know that if I arrange to meet those friends, I will be there. If they can't come, I may go by myself, but I may not go by myself. And that's just self-awareness for me. Another thing I know is if I paid for an exercise class, I'm likely to turn up to the exercise class as opposed to if I pay when I arrive, I may or may not go. And that's fine. It doesn't matter. But it's just having that self-awareness of what motivates you and what will you will do just basically how your life works and how you can create your life in such an easy way that you'll just do it without thinking and you'll enjoy it. Yeah, I like that. And I like that you mentioned that it isn't just about we, you know, we do think about it's about discipline. It's about, you know, mind over matter, but it's really just it's habits. It's just building these habits. And once you're in the habit, it just becomes automatic. And it's harder to change your habit than to not follow through with what what you're planning on doing because it's consistent and it's a habit. I really like that. Um, The other thing, you know, you mentioned meditation and I want, I would love to make another plug for that because we've talked about it a little bit on the show, but I feel like that that's another really important tool for our health that nobody makes time for. So how do you help people? How, what's a way we can practically implement that into our life? Yeah, there's lots of different ways guess what? It comes down to habit again. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. (laughs) It it does. But I mean, there's different types of meditation um, and different ways. So, you know, like I go to a yoga class or used to go to a yoga class, which is a very relaxed sort of meditation stroke yoga class, as opposed to a, a different kind of meditation. So, you know, you can do things like chanting, you can have, there's a lot of apps online now and some free apps that will do talking meditations, or you can just choose to do a sort of focusing on your breathing meditation. There's different ways you can do visualization, which is not quite the same as meditation, but also simple something, you know, just sitting for a few minutes. So it kind of depends what appeals to you, what you like. I think with all things, you just have to find what works for you. And I think one of the main things about meditation is part of it is about just stopping and taking time out of our busy lives. You know, we have so many thoughts going on and on and on. Mm-hmm. And part of it is just to become aware of those thoughts or not, you don't stop them entirely, but just stop that treadmill of thoughts. Do you yes. know what I mean? Like yes. we can spend hours on that treadmill. So, you know, meditation is an amazing tool. And I think it's one that you just have to build up a habit of doing it. So find a time that is good for you. And with habits, you know, when I'm talking to my one-on-one clients, I always think you're much better building up a habit in a small way. So for example, whether you want to do meditation or whether you want to go walking or running, that actually you think about, you've got your two different brains. So you've got your prefrontal cortex, which is your thinking, planning part of your brain, which goes, we are going to give up chocolate for the next two years. And then you've got your body brain, which, you know, when you get into that, whatever situation it is, perhaps you're on the way back from work, goes... We eat chocolates now, don't we? And you need to <laughs> reconcile the both of them because if you make a plan which is too big and then you fail at it, you're going to start beating yourself up about it. So that bit of self-awareness, so you can say, well, okay, let's not go for two years of not eating chocolate. Let's try for a week and see how we go for a week. Or let's say I'm going to 
do a goal over a year, but I'm only going to eat chocolate once a week. So it's not like I'm depriving myself. Mm-hmm. So thinking about it like that and then do a reality check and go, okay, so I've said I'm going to go running three times a week. Am I actually going to do that? Or is that going to be too much? And if you think it's too much, go down to two, something smaller that you know that you can 100% commit to and say, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to build up this habit and I'm going to do this. And there's no backing out of that. You could do extra, of course you can, but this is my baseline minimum and I'm not going to go any lower. And actually, I think once you've built that habit, often it's like practicing the piano. You know, you want to see yourself getting better and you start getting the bug, whatever it is, whether it's meditation or whether it's exercise, you start thinking, I'm good at this. I enjoy this. I can do a bit more, you know? So for me, I go swimming now and now I cycle because of confinement. We were allowed to go on our bikes, but not in our cars. So I started cycling to the beach and now I love doing that. And I'm like, why wasn't I doing this last year? It's only... 15 minute cycle ride to the beach so you know it's it just you start building on it but the first bit is getting the habit of the habit if that makes sense yeah yeah no that's that does make sense and it really does all boil down to these habits so what is you know before we finish up i'd love to hear just what is like a favorite snack of yours it's like your go-to snack and what's a favorite meal that you make because we love talking about food on this show so I'd love to hear it (laughs) well okay snack I have to say one of my favorite snacks is nuts I am a little bit crazy about nuts but I am also aware that I'm a bit crazy about nuts so I have to make sure I only have you know a small amount of nuts and so I often have a piece of fruit with it because Otherwise, I'd eat an entire bag of nuts, and I know nuts are good for you, but... <laughs> I, I'm the same way. I will go overboard, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I totally love nuts. What is my favorite meal? That is really interesting. Okay, I think one of my favorite treat foods is sushi, and I don't think I've eaten mm. sushi for years. Uh, it's not something that we have here in Spain, really, mm. or not, not in the, the town, the little towns. Um, but I think just for me vegetables just seriously vegetables with olive oil and I really am an advocate of olive oil as well I think olive oil is something that is yeah hugely like I know fats is an interesting um topic but um in the Mediterranean style diet obviously olive oil plays a big role Mm -hmm. in Mediterranean style living so I'm kind of lucky because we have locally produced olive oil but actually it has a lot of health benefits and it's super tasty and it just brings everything to life you know like talking about vegetables and you know one of the things I always say not just put them out but actually cook twice as much vegetables as you think because then you've got cold vegetables what do you do with cold vegetables you chuck a little bit of olive oil on them and serve them as a salad and it's really easy and once you get into those kind of habits but olive oil I think everybody should love olive oil learn to love oh good I love that I know that there are tons of studies on the benefit anti-inflammatory benefits of olive oil and yeah I mean there's it's time and time again has proved to be a staple in in our diets and Mediterranean diet I could go on and on and ask you about that too um, because I do know that that's been widely studied as well and and it is hard nutrition is one of those things it's hard to have controlled studies for so um I but that's just it the, the, the big controlled study was done in the Mediterranean style diet so that's one of the reasons why I love Mediterranean style diet mm-hmm. also it's not a diet in terms of diet as in it's not about discipline it's just really a way of eating and essentially it's lots of vegetables with olive oil nuts and seeds you know it's just like normal eating made slightly more healthy 
Yeah. And, and greens, lots of good leafy greens too. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it's brain food, you know, it's, it's eating for, for our brains, for our thoughts so that maybe we can make the, all these better habits. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So awesome. So where can people find out more about you and, and what you do and your podcast, give us all your information. Oh, thank you so much for asking. Well, my podcast is called Fit and Fabulous. It's actually called Fit and Fabulous at 40 and Beyond. And I do a weekly podcast, um, normally talking about health and weight loss and, you know, the stumbling blocks we have. I'm going to do a few about healthy eating for children because I realize I haven't done any. And my website is drorlina.com. So it's D-R-O-R-L-E-N-A.com. And there you can, you know, sign up and I have various free gifts, but one of them is like a healthy meal plan. It's just a few healthy recipes to get people started off. Okay. Awesome. Well, I'm so excited to meet you and have you on this podcast and maybe we'll have to do it again and just talk about all about the Mediterranean diet. I would love that. <laughs> I would love that too. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you again. Thanks for tuning in to Sparking Wholeness. For more on all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul, check out my website, sparkingwholeness.com. Don't forget to be kind and subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts. And to be really kind, you can leave a nice review. I like those.